Tonight we are going to continue with the second half of our Lord's Day lesson entitled Scripture, <clears throat> Satan, and today's study Bibles. I said this morning that one of the biggest single avenues that Satan uses to continue to lie and deny and successfully deceive people into believing just the opposite of what God said is some of the notes in study Bibles, the notes under the lines. Now again, the thing is, is that what's above the line in the study Bible, the text, it's God's word. Sometimes people confuse that with the men's notes under it or they take the men's notes under it. And some of those facts and figures and maps, as we said this morning, are good study tools. But you have to be careful because sometimes the commentaries completely contradict what God said just above it on the very, very same page as we saw this morning. Again, when I'm speaking about study Bibles, I'm talking about the men's notes under the line. And you know, I had an illustration to help us remember that. Consider this. We know about the Hadean world that is separated by a great chasm. Jesus talked about that in the Gospel according to Luke. We know that the lower side, torment, is a terrible place to be. We know that the paradisical side or the the good side of Hades, Abraham's bosom, this, this paradise, this pleasure park, as it means in the Greek, is a wonderful place to be, right? We understand that from Luke. Think of a page in the study Bible the same way. That upper part is God's word. It's a wonderful place to be. But there's a line that separates. And underneath of that line, that chasm, if you will, there can be some terrible things that can lead your soul astray into spending eternity in the wrong half of Hades if you are not careful. Consider that tonight as we talk about study Bibles. We begin tonight with one different than the ones we talked about this morning. If you want a copy, as I said this morning, of either this morning's lesson, sign up out here. It'll, all be, post it'll be posted on the website as well if you want my notes, if you want the PowerPoint. I've already had a request for it. If you think it's something that would help you to study with somebody, let me know. Write it down so I don't forget it, because if a bunch of you come to me and say, hey, I'd like to copy of that, I'll forget who you were by the time I go out the door, so write it down. <laughs> All right. Begin tonight with the Ryrie NIV Study Bible. After God says in the sacred text above the line, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. In their notes on Acts 2.38, down under that, these men say, repent. Means to change one's mind, specifically here, about Jesus of Nazareth, and to acknowledge him as Lord and Christ. Such repentance brings salvation. They say, <coughs> that if you repent, that is change your mind about Jesus and acknowledge him as Lord, that's all it takes. That kind of repentance, acknowledging him as Lord, brings salvation. Now, that's not at all what God said in Acts 2.38, but consider this. If their statement is true, that all you have to do 
is believe that he is the son of God, acknowledge that, and that is the kind of repentance that brings salvation, then we have a problem. That problem is it contradicts exactly what God said himself in other passages. Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23, in their very own translation, in that very translation or version of the sacred text says, not everyone who says to me, or I might say acknowledges him as, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. There you have it. God said not everybody acknowledges him is going to heaven. They say that's all you got to do. But only he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? And I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. People that Jesus talked about in Matthew 7, 21 through 23, are people who believed he was Lord. They lived their life as if they had truly believed in their heart that he was Lord. They acknowledged him. They'll say, Lord, Lord. But alas, God, Christ, will have to say, I, I never knew you. Why? Because they did not do his Father's will. There's more to it than repentance in the sense that they define it, simply acknowledging Jesus is Lord. Listen, what is God's will on baptism? We covered it this morning. Baptism is for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 2.38. Baptism is to wash sins away, Acts 22.16. To be baptized is to be saved, 1 Peter 3.21. And not because of any other reason. It, baptism is not for any other reason. It's not because we've already been saved. It's not as an outward sign of past forgiveness. It is not to signify any such inward grace. God never said baptism was for any of those things. And I want you to think about this. If that's all it takes to go to heaven, a changing of mind about Jesus Christ and to acknowledge him as Lord, if that is all there is, if that's the repentance that brings salvation, then Saul of Tarsus was saved on the way into Damascus. Did Saul of Tarsus change his mind about Jesus? He did, didn't he? Did he confess that he was Lord? Yes, he did. So if this is all there is to it, he was saved on the way into Damascus, Acts chapter 9. But yet we know in Paul's retelling of the story in Acts 22, that he spent three days. And after that three days was up that he spent in Damascus, Ananias comes to him and told him to rise and be baptized to wash his sins away. So Saul of Tarsus could not have been saved simply by acknowledging Jesus, changing his mind, and calling him Lord. Unless you can go to heaven with your sins. Can you go to heaven with your sins on you? No. Three days later, he still got him, and he has to be baptized to have his sins washed away. So by their very definition, that's all it takes. Saul wouldn't have needed to be baptized to wash his sins away, and yet God's word said he was. They continue in this particular study Bible. Their notes on the phrase, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, reads as follows. Water baptism is the outward sign of repentance in forgiveness of sins. Forgiveness is through faith in Christ, not through the act of baptism. 
Forgiveness is through faith in Christ. They got that right. Forgiveness is through faith in Christ. No question about it. But what they miss completely and what we can't afford to miss because our souls are on the line is that God said that baptism is the very act of faith by and through which we are forgiven. Colossians 2, 11 through 13, we covered that at length this morning. Did not God say, buried with him in baptism and raised with him through faith in the working of God? Yes, he did. That is the very act of faith, baptism. We trust God, that's what he said to do, so we do it. They also forget to tell you that it is through faith in Christ that we are baptized to become children of the living God. Again, as we covered this morning from Galatians 3, 26 and 7. Listen, when people today, like the 3,000 that we read about in Acts chapter 2, when they have the faith, they have the belief enough in the message about Jesus that the apostles taught to then obey what they were taught by being baptized for the forgiveness of sins, then they're saved, Acts 2, 37 through 41. Remember that when one hears and believes what God said enough to then by faith do it, they are through their faith saved by his grace, again as we saw this morning. Please note again that they say up here in their notes, forgiveness is not through the act of baptism. When God said that it is in Acts 2.38, so the question again becomes, who do you trust? Who do you believe? God or man? Finally, they say, for may hear mean because of. Now, We've had this discussion in the adult class, the Greek word E-I-S, ace, we've had this discussion, but we're going to have it again very briefly. They say here that where it says be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, for may mean because of. Not a chance. Not a chance. I'll prove it in a minute. And, but think about this. Just think about this alone. Notice they say, for may hear mean because of. Do you want to stake your eternity on what some men say may work and may not? Do you want to put your eternity on what some men say, well, this might be the case? When God told you exactly what the case was, I'll put my faith in God. May, really? But this is not so. Listen, to a single translation, and this is something we've got to get to people, to a single translation, every single literal or even somewhat semi-literal, even the very liberal New International Version, and all the Greek scholars who have contributed to all of these Bibles and all these translations for the last 450 years, hear me, church, not one of those Bibles says, because of. Every single one of them says, for the forgiveness of sins. Do you think there's a reason maybe for that? Do you think it's maybe because the word means for instead of because of? 
I believe it's that and I believe it's more than that. Probably one of the main reasons is this very same word. EIS in the Greek, for. Occurs in another text as we've talked about as well in Matthew 26, 28. Jesus says, for this is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. That phrase, for the remission of sins, is the same phrase we see in Acts 2.38. Jesus was not saying that this, excuse me, Jesus is not saying this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for many because their sins, because of their sins already having been forgiven. Does that make sense to anybody? Jesus didn't say this is the new covenant which I'm shedding because of the forgiveness you've already received. No. Well, that ain't what Acts 2.38 means either. It's the same phrase. He's not saying that we need to be baptized because of something that's already happened. And then there's this. New King James. Study Bible. Thomas Nelson Publishers says this. Verse... That's not verse. In this version or translation of the New King James, God word, God's word says, Then Peter said to them, Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. But here's what their notes say. On that very text, is Peter saying that we must be baptized to receive forgiveness of our sins? Well, let me look at that again. Repent, let everyone be baptized in Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. Is Peter saying we must be baptized to receive forgiveness of our sins? Um, <coughs> scripture, they go on to say, clearly teaches that we are justified by faith alone, not by works. This is what they said. Scripture clearly teaches that we are justified by faith alone. Not by works. Paul did teach that we're not saved by the works of the old law. That's true. Absolutely true. But we've got to understand in the Bible when we talk about works, there's at least four different kinds of works. But here's the thing. To say scripture clearly teaches we're justified by faith alone, not by works, is a complete outlandish, satanic lie. Let God's word speak for itself. Let those who would put their faith and trust in him alone see this truth for himself in their own Bibles. James chapter 2, if you want to turn there and follow along, I want to excerpt it as we address their statement. Scripture clearly teaches we're justified by faith alone, not by works. Turn to me in your Bibles to James 2. We're going to cover most of the chapter from verse 14 forward, but not all of it. And as I read this, consider their statement. James 2, 14 through 17. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to him, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus, this is divinely inspired. Thus also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Verses 19 through 22. You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. 
But do you want to know, oh foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works and by works faith was made perfect? Look at verse 24. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Is that what God said? Not by faith only. Their statement is, Scripture clearly teaches we are justified by faith alone, not by works. You have a decision to make. Our friends and neighbors have a decision. You can listen to what's under the line or what's over the line. You can listen to what man said or what God said. You can spend, spend your time waiting for the final judgment in whichever section of Hades you want, under the line or above it, if you will. Verse 26, for as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. Do you see why our friends and neighbors are confused? In our drive-by culture where everybody's looking for the short, easy answer, nobody wants to take the time to study. It's easy to turn to one passage Read what it says, read what the notes under it say, and say, yeah, I understand that. But there's so much more, and that's why we study. Moving on, they continue. They continue. There we go. Basically, a discussion we've already had. The critical word in this phrase is for, which may also be translated with a view to. Do you see how that word may keeps sneaking in there? Well, it may be this way. Well, yeah, I'm, real, I'm ready to risk my eternal soul on what you say might possibly be the case, right? Not. May also be translated with a view to. But again, no translation over the last 450 years that's even remotely, remotely literal translates that word as with a view to there. Let's take a look at that word. For. Let every one of you, Peter said in Acts 2.38, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's talk about the word for. If you tell a small child that they need to get ready for a trip to grandma's house, do they think that's because they're already there? When you go into a store, you buy, you're getting ready to purchase something for $5. Are you going to pay the $5 because you've already had the thing and it's already yours? No. The word for doesn't look back. It doesn't say, I'm doing this because of something I've already done or something I've already received. The word for means I'm going to give $5 for that. When I give the $5 for that, that becomes mine. When we're getting ready for a trip to grandma's house, then we get dressed and it's for what's about to come, not because of what's already happened. It's used the same way in Acts 2.38. We are to repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of our sins, not because it's something that's already been done. See, God did not make baptism difficult to understand. Satan, man, to a large degree, man's Bible study notes did. And they continue to complicate the issue, to contradict God. 
Look at the next slide. A comparison of Peter's message in Acts 10, 34 through 43 makes it clear that remission of sins comes to whoever believes. Now, if by that they mean that remission of sins comes to whoever believes God enough to obey what he says to receive that forgiveness, then that statement would be true. But that's not the way they mean it. They simply use man's definition of belief, which requires no obedience to God. It's just a mental acknowledgement. And if it's just a mental acknowledgement, whoever believes, if their notes are true, a comparison of Peter's message in Acts 10, 34 through 43 makes it clear that remission of sins comes to whoever acknowledges, then there's going to be demons in heaven. Because even the demons believe and shudder. Did the demons confess Jesus according to the four gospel accounts? They confessed him as Lord. I know who you are. Have you come to torment us before the time? They knew exactly if all it takes Belief is a mental assent or acknowledgement. But if you read that passage, it doesn't say anything close to that. Now, it will tell you about remission of sins goes to whoever believes, but that belief is a belief that requires obedience. And we know that because they also fail to inform you of the next few verses in Cornelius' conversion. You know what they say, don't you? Cornelius still had to be baptized, didn't he? Peter commanded water that they would be baptized. Now, do you suppose that when Cornelius realized that he had to be baptized, he said, no, wait a minute, that isn't what God meant. No, that's not what we see at all. We see that he had the faith to do what he was commanded to do. So, yeah, he believed in, in the right sense so that he obeyed, and when he obeyed, he was forgiven. This version goes on again to completely contradict the very words of God when they say, believers are baptized in view of God's work of forgiveness, not in order to receive it. Now again, I'm not going over it again because baptism isn't something that looks back. We don't get baptized in view of something we've already gotten. That's not what the scripture says at all. And notice they say, not in order to receive forgiveness. So they say baptism is not to receive forgiveness. What did God say? Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. So what did they do? They tied a knot in the text. We've heard that before this morning. If you were here this morning, we've heard that, haven't we? Exactly what Satan did. Exactly what he keeps doing because it keeps working. day you eat of it, you'll surely die, God said. Satan said you will not surely die. God says, forgiveness, baptism is for forgiveness. They say that's not true. So who do you trust? And, and what we need for our friends and neighbors to do, and I know you all know this stuff, I'm just pointing it out so you'll have, have it before you, you'll have the tools, but we need to ask our friends and neighbors to consider this as if their eternal lives depended on it because they do. They do. Moving on. <clears throat> the Life Application Study Bible. By the way, it's more of a perversion than a version. Books itself as the truth made clear and it states in its notes, 
on Acts 2.38 the following. We cannot save ourselves. Only God can save us. That's absolutely true. Baptism identifies us with Christ and with a community of believers. It is a condition of discipleship, the sign of faith. Is that what God said? Do you see that anywhere in the sacred text above the line that that's true? Don't see that wording anywhere? Don't see that reasoning anywhere? That's not what God said. He said it was for the forgiveness of sins to wash them away and to save us, didn't he? That's what he said. There are notes on 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, the verse where God says baptism now saves you. They say it is not the ceremony that is baptism that saves us. Okay. God says baptism now saves you. They say that baptism is not what saves us. Heard that before. Isn't this amazing? Isn't this sad? No wonder there's so much confusion out there. They then go on to say, whoops. They then go on to say, in Christ's death, baptism is a symbol of the cleansing that happens in the hearts of those who believe. What do they call baptism? A symbol. But God says it's the water that symbolizes baptism. They say baptism is a symbol. God said it's the water that's a symbol of baptism. They've got it completely backward to try and push a chain. You ever tried to push a chain uphill? You ever tried to nail jello to the ceiling? It's one of those things. We're getting, we're getting this totally backward. They say, by identifying themselves with Christ through baptism, Peter's readers could resist turning back even under pressure of persecution. I want you to really think about this. I want you to really let this one sink in. By identifying themselves with Christ through baptism, Peter's readers could resist turning back even under the pressure of persecution. You see the hole in that? Here's the hole. Have there been people in Shoto that have been baptized into Christ and under persecution have turned back? Have there been people here that have turned back? Has every other town I've ever been in. They're saying that, that, that if they got baptized, it would give them the power to resist turning back. Any of you ever been tempted to turn back? The preacher will be the first one to raise his hand. Tempted, didn't say he did, I said tempted. Say, wow, you know, what am I doing? Baptism, the fact that you got baptized didn't stop that temptation, did it? They're saying it will. And you know what's interesting about that, not only from a personal perspective or, or a, a, a today's perspective? Notice this. Somebody should have told Peter that that's what it meant. I'm telling you, if that's what it truly meant, somebody should have told Peter, because in Peter's second epistle, written to those who had obtained like precious faith in 2 Peter 1.1. 1, 1. You know what second chapter of 2 Peter is all about? Those who had turned back and fallen away. Well, wait a minute. If that's true, then they couldn't turn back. Well, they did, according to the second chapter of 2 Peter. 
He says public baptism would keep them from the temptation to renounce their faith. Doesn't work that way today, does it? Baptism's not an automatic guarantee, is it? That you're not even going to be tempted to renounce your faith. Well, it didn't work that way then either, apparently. But it gets worse. Say, how much worse can it get? Well, in my mind, it does. Perhaps the strongest, most satanic, scripture-perverting, false teaching example I've seen in a Bible study is this one. The Apologetic Study Bible, which books itself with these words. Real questions, straight answers, strong faith. Not only do their notes on Acts 2.38 say, through repentance, faith and, I'm sorry, through repentance and faith and baptism, I'll get this right in a minute, third time's charm, watch this. Not only do its notes on Acts 2.38 say, though repentance slash faith and baptism go together in Acts, that is the book of Acts, Baptism is an indication of belonging to Christ and not a condition for it. Though repentance and faith and baptism go together in Acts, baptism is an indication of belonging to Christ and not a condition of it. Baptism is not a condition of belonging to Christ. Anybody in here ever remember reading Mark 16 and verse 16? He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. But whoever has disbelieved shall be condemned. Now, I want you to think about that statement. Whatever belief does for you in that sentence, baptism has to do. Think about this. In Mark 16, 16, whatever belief does, baptism does, because they go together. He, we're supposed to, verse 15, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. Now, is belief essential to be saved? Could that sentence read, he who believes shall be saved? It could, and it would be legitimate. But if belief is essential to salvation, so is baptism, because they're both listed the same exact way. He who believes and is baptized. So if baptism doesn't save you, belief doesn't either. If belief does, then baptism has to. They're, they're under the same heading. They go the same way. They're included in that sentence as both being essential. Consider this. Every literal translation ever, once again in Acts 2.38, says baptism is for the forgiveness of sins. But they have a section in this Bible. It's called Twisted Scripture. Now, I want you to really watch this. Under a section called Twisted Scripture, they have this. Many groups use these verses, Acts 2.38, etc., to teach that baptism is essential to salvation. Yet Paul made a distinction between the two when he wrote, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He then described the gospel as the message of the cross, which is God's power to save. 
Baptism and the gospel are thus set in opposition to each other. Baptism and the gospel are set in opposition to each other, they say, because the gospel is the message of the cross. The one thing they did get right in this paragraph is the fact that the gospel is the message of the cross, isn't it? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Gospel is the message of the cross, just like they say. And the gospel is the power of God to save, right? Romans wants absolutely no question about it. But the big, fat, soul-destroying lie that they tuck right in the middle is when they say that baptism and the gospel are in opposition to each other. Listen, brethren, nothing on earth could be any further from the truth than that statement. Nothing. That baptism and the gospel are opposites. That is such a ridiculous statement, it just makes me cringe. Here's why. The gospel is the message of the cross, the death, burial, and resurrection. We know that. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. But what's baptism? Death, burial, and resurrection. Isn't it? Doesn't he say in Romans chapter 6, but that old man ascend to death, be buried with him, rise to walk in newness of life? The gospel is all about us obeying the death, burial, and resurrection. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection, and then going on to live faithfully. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. So the gospel is not in opposition to baptism. Baptism is where we obey the gospel. Matter of fact, the Bible says if you don't obey the gospel, you'll spend eternity in hell. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Thessalonians 1, final passage of the night. 1 Thessalonians 1. No, baptism and the gospel are not in opposition. How such a statement is even made by anybody who claims to know anything about the Bible is beyond me. Gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection. When we're baptized, we obey the death, burial, and resurrection. It's the same thing. Jesus did at the cross what we do symbolically in baptism. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, beginning at verse 7. Hey, how about I get to the right place, actually? How about 2 Thessalonians? That looks a lot better. Sorry. 2 Thessalonians 1, 7. And to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God, and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power when he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe because our testimony among you was believed. Listen, the gospel is all about what Jesus did on the cross, but so is baptism. And if we don't obey that gospel by putting to death that old man of sin, burying him in the waters of baptism and rising to walk in newness of life, this very text tells us if we don't obey the gospel, where we're going to spend eternity. Obeying the gospel 
is where we are, Colossians 2.12, buried with him in baptism, in which we are also raised with him through faith in the working God who raised him from the dead. It's been a frustrating day. Probably for a lot of you. Certainly for me. Because when the word of God gets kicked in the teeth by men, that makes me a little insane. When our God who paid everything for us and then left his word here to see it butchered, perverted, twisted, contradicted, lied about, denied, rejected, it drives me a little insane. And we think, God, we got we to gotta have something here. We got, we got to do something with all of this. I just found out about it. Maybe some of you know, but I promised you a nice surprise at the end of the evening. So like I said, some of you already know, but I was over to Katie and JR's recently. Did you know there's a new study Bible out? It's called the Defending the Faith Study Bible, put out by Apologetics Press. Can you imagine having a study Bible where you could actually turn some of these texts and it gave you a real and biblical answer in the men's notes underneath that would be great wouldn't it the apologetics press and no i'm not making money on them i'm not selling anything that's not the point the point is i get so frustrated when what's below the t the, the line is so contrary to what god said but i've had a chance to thumb through this bible and if you ever want to buy a bible for somebody to teach them who'll look at the men's notes and actually get it this Bible does that in a lot of places. I'm not saying it's perfect, but I'm telling you it's a whole lot closer than all those other ones we've discussed today. For example, I don't know if you can see that, but I want to read this to you. This is their notes on Acts 2 and verse 38. This is under the line, men's notes. This verse teaches that baptism is the point at which a person contacts the blood of Christ and receives forgiveness of sins. Wow. In fact, the verse explains that baptism was done in order to obtain that forgiveness. Some, however, have objected to the idea that baptism is necessary for forgiveness and for salvation. The contention is made that the preposition for in the phrase for the remission of sins means because of. They assert that the 3,000 people in this passage were baptized because their sins had been forgiven. And then he goes on to talk about, and I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he goes on to talk about the very thing that I already did about how the word for is used in Matthew 26, 28, and explains it and goes through the whole thing. And, and he gets into the Greek and all of that. He finishes up down there similarly in Acts 2.38. If repentance is not because of remission of sins, neither is baptism. Peter told his hearers to do both things. Amen. So, I put that information up there. You can Google it if you want. Question tonight. I know most of you are members of the church and you know all this stuff. Maybe you could recite it in your sleep and you've obeyed the gospel and you understand that. I'm just trying to give you another tool to reach out to people with. But if there's somebody here tonight who's never done that, I'm telling you it's a question of life and death. The question right now for you is this. Who do you believe?
And if you say, well, Doug, I'm not going to believe you. I'm not asking you to believe me. I've shown you book, chapter, and verse, and I'll continue to do it. We can have Bible study until tomorrow morning if you want to. Who do you trust? Who do you put your faith in to save you? The man who wrote below the line or the divinely inspired man whose every word was inspired by God that's printed above the line? Is your faith truly in Jesus? If your faith is truly in Jesus, you can only be saved by grace through faith. You can only be saved by God's grace when you, through your faith, because you believe and trust him, are willing to do what he said you had to do in order to receive his grace. It's that simple. If you have never repented and been buried with him in baptism specifically for the forgiveness of your sins, through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead, why not tonight? Why not right now? We'd love to have a new brother or sister in Christ again this Sunday night, wouldn't we, folks? If you'd like to study on this, we'd love to study with you at any rate. If you have a need to be baptized or for the prayers of the church, maybe you're somebody who's been baptized and you're struggling with life in general or something else we can help with, anything we can do to help, please come to the front as we stand and sing.